everybody. Welcome to episode 471 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Just Adam today. And today I'm super excited for you guys to listen to the interview that I did with Jordan Ifweko, who is the debut author of a book called Ray Bearer. It is a young adult fantasy novel. It's the first of a duology, I believe, maybe two books. And it is getting compared to Children of Blood and Bone, and also books by Sabati here, and I just totally well-deserved. It's so, so good. The world building is just some of the most impressive I've ever seen in a novel. Um, the amount of story and characters and magic and magical systems and things that Jordan is able to put into this one novel are, it's, oh, it's amazing. It's really, really amazing. Uh, you guys are really, really going to like it. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much right now about the actual book because we spend a whole bunch of time chatting together about how she put everything together and, and how her life helped uh, kind of inspire the book. So that in just a second. But before I do, I want to <clears throat> give you some fun housekeeping things. First, of course, you can always go to professionalbookers.com, which is our website, and there you can find all of our old episodes as well, all 470 of them. Um, if you want to search for a specific author or a genre or something like that, the, the episodes will pull it right up for you. So really nice and easy. Uh, on the website, you can also see some of our fun social media templates, things like uh, various bingos and our 30-day uh, book challenge. And uh, you can find our professional book nerds reading challenge for 2020 there. Just all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, you can also tweet us at ProBookNerds, Instagram as well, at ProBookNerds. Shoot us an email, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com, all that good stuff. Another really fun thing I want to point out is if you go to shop.overdrive.com, mentioned this a little bit in the past, but uh, there's some really great Libby hoodies and t-shirts and all sorts of really fun stuff. And there's, of course, also Professional Book Nerds swag that you can get there. But uh, we're doing a special two-week kind of flash sale of this really cool Libby t-shirt that I just want to let you guys know about. Uh, we've had a lot of requests from people asking about the different skin tones that you can make Libby. You, know, you may have noticed it. You can make her skin uh, various shades if you want to in the app. And uh, so we made a shirt that is kind of all of the faces. Um, and it's really, really cool. If you go to shop.overdrive.com, you can get it just for the next two weeks. So we're just doing kind of a quick flash sale of this t-shirt. So you'll see it there. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Just really cool. I'm going to let you guys know about that as well. Um, and then lastly, if you haven't ever done this before, if you wouldn't mind going into wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a quick five-star rating and a review, um, you know, every podcaster says it, but it really does help people find us a little bit easier. So we much appreciate that. Okay. I think that's all the housekeeping. I'm not going to wait any longer. I want to let you guys get to this conversation I had with Jordan Ifueco on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. My name's Adam Sokol, and I'm the host of the Passions and Prologues podcast. Every week, best-selling authors like Jenny Jackson, Rebecca Mackay, Lisa Scottolini, or Brad Meltzer come on to my show to talk about, yes, their new books, but more importantly, the things that they're crazy passionate about. We've talked about the Muppets, powerlifting, traveling, gardening, home improvement, and so much more. We dig into why these things are their passions, how they inspire their writing, and where they came to fall in love with these random assorted things. Be sure to subscribe to the Passions and Prologues podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com to learn more.
Hey everybody, it's Adam again, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to be joined by Jordan Ifweko, who is a Nigerian-American author of young adult fiction. Uh, she has a brand new book coming out that the day you hear this will actually be coming out tomorrow. So it is called Ray Bear, and it is so much fun. It has starred reviews all over the place, and she's getting compared to people like Tomi Adeyemi and Saba Tahir, which is very well-deserved and also a little bit wild, but it's amazing. So first off, Jordan, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. So we always love starting our conversations by letting the author kind of introduce our audience to your book. So can you maybe give us an introduction to Ray Bearer? Absolutely. So I always describe Ray Bearer as the sum of my tangle of cultural influences. <laughs> I am, this is going to be a doozy, I am the American-born daughter of Nigerian immigrants who themselves were educated when Nigeria was a British colony. So it's like all of these cultural influences tangled together, um, aside from what I grew up watching, which is stuff like, you know, Miyazaki movies and Bollywood movies and things like that. So all of that, there, there's a little taste of all of that in Ray Bearer. Um, Ray Bearer is about a young girl who grows up in a global empire called Eretzar. And this empire is considered to be blessed because it is ruled by an emperor who is rumored to be divine. Because for every person he anoints to his council, it's called the sacred 11 anointed ones, he becomes immune to one kind of death. So if I anoint Adam here, I would become immune to say drowning. <laughs> if I anoint someone else, I'd become immune to poisoning. Um, the catch being, that anybody I anoint to my council can still kill me. Nobody else in the world can, but they can. So um, he, the emperor picks these children when they are very young and when he is a child himself so that they grow close together and develop a psychological and magical dependence on each other. If they ever like separate or betray each other, they become very, very ill. So they're all very faithful. Um, and our protagonist, Tari Sai, is a young girl sent to the capital by her mother to be selected for the next council with the future emperor, who is a young, kind, wonderful crown prince, who Tarisai, the protagonist, has actually been sent to kill <laughs> for reasons she doesn't know. So <laughs> that is the elevator introduction to it. I was just gonna say, <laughs> first off, there's so much of this world that I wanna unpack because it is, and I'm not just saying this because we're chatting, like it is the most elaborately built out world I've ever gotten to explore in a fantasy novel. And oh, thank you. it's so beautiful. And like, it just, there's so many twists and turns, almost just like by default on how you've built the world. And I definitely get, like you are talking about the Bollywood stuff, like there's colors everywhere. And mm -hmm. there's just so much going on in this that, I adore. I'm trying to imagine you pitching this to like your literary agents at first and like because <laughs> there is so much here. So I guess kind of where I want to start and we'll get into the world building in a second. But like what part of this story came first to you as a writer? Was it the world, the characters, like the plot twists? So this story I wrote the earliest, earliest versions of when I was 13. So that's <laughs> almost 14 years ago. It's amazing. And the first inspiration um, 
So I, I was homeschooled until I was 13. Mm-hmm. And then I got sent to this tiny private school, which, you, and I mean tiny, like my graduating class was 17 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so because we were such a small class, we did everything together. We were just this group of brainy, nerdy teens. And, you know, it was kind of a preppy school. So we do like debate and things like mm-hmm. that. And so not only were we kind of just unusually close for a group of teenagers, but it was also kind of like my first big friend group that mm-hmm. I'd had. Like I'd had friends as a homeschooler, but it wasn't anything like this where I saw them every day, all the time. We did everything together. And so that's where I got this idea for like, what if there was a group of children who had been raised to rule together, you know, which is a very grandiose way of looking at my own education <laughs> as a 13 year old. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I just, I loved them very much. I'm still close friends with some of them. Um, and so I initially, it was the characters that came first. Um, mm-hmm. The characters aren't based on any of my old friends. It's really just that concept, you know? Yeah. Um, and the thing is, the world of Ray Bearer changed so much as I grew up, because mm-hmm. not only was I growing up and my views on the world were changing, but I was also learning how to write a book. So mm-hmm. I wrote other stories, um, other books in the meantime, but Ray Bearer is the book that I wrote over and over again every time I learned something new about being a writer. <laughs> I, something that it seems like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like there's something that did stick with your main Is it Tarisai? Or- yes. Okay, so mm-hmm. one of the things that I feel like might have stuck with with her, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like she feels very isolated, especially in the beginning of the book. Yes, <laughs> um, was that something that you were experiencing because you were homeschooled, or because I I went to I, you said you went to school with a small class, and I was gonna laugh and join with you because I I graduated with 48 people, which is usually referred to as a small class. Yes, <laughs> but you said we had 17. So did that like feeling of isolation did that come from being homeschooled and kind of separated um, I I do think so I always hesitate to say that I was lonely as a homeschooler because that's a stereotype from a lot of people who don't know about homeschooling they assume mm-hmm. you like literally see no one <laughs> um that that isn't the case for a lot of homeschoolers I think for me it was kind of a perfect storm of like I I felt a little strange myself mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I fit in. I, I was part of a very large homeschool co-op group. It was like 500 families oh, wow. in Southern California. But A, they were like, they were over, it was overwhelmingly a white environment. I was mm-hmm. the only like dark-skinned black girl there. Mm-hmm. And B, you know, I, I was a weird kid. <laughs> like I just, you know, I was really nerdy. I had mm-hmm. these elaborate games of pretend. I have this vivid memory of having a play date with a friend and she was like, let's play runaway princesses. And I was like, yes, good. And I took one of her like <laughs> stuffed animals. It was a rabbit. Uh-huh. And I would, was like pretending to cook it. And she was like, what are you doing with my toy? I was like, we uh-huh. have to survive. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, like, I like, pretended to catch this rabbit and like skin it and stuff. I was so weird. <laughs> honestly, like I know what you mean though, because when you do, like I, like I said, I, I had a, my school because it was so small. I, same thing, like I still, t- I talked to more of my high school friends than I do my college friends because my high school friends were also my middle school friends. And like mm-hmm. the same thing because we were such a tiny group, we got so close knit. And like 
exactly what you're saying. Like I can imagine, and I know this has a little bit to do with like how society is now. Like our parents would just send us off on bikes in the morning. We'd be like 11 and they're like, don't come back till dinner. And we didn't have phones. We didn't have anything. So you do, you're like, you make up these games. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ways to pass the time where you get to use your imagination or like someone finds a giant cardboard box and you're like, that's a castle now. And (laughs) I feel like it did. Do you think doing all those types of kind of, I guess, preliminary world building really like in your own mind when you were younger do you think that helped you build the world of Ray Bear because the scale here is like wild there's so much going on I definitely think it helped I think my loneliness helped even because the thing is there, there's this one scene in the beginning of Ray Bear where Tari Sai who is raised in isolation in an invisible manner mm-hmm. you know she she doesn't even know it's invisible at first because it's her whole world until she like sees other children in a caravan kind of pass by the house and she like waves at them from the window because she's never gotten to sp- speak to anyone her own age before she's just this child in this mm-hmm. house of adult tutors who test her for things and she doesn't know what mm-hmm. um, she waves and the children don't see her they just stare right through her mm-hmm. and she's, you know, she's shocked and she's lonely. And so she creates these elaborate games, some of which are fantastical, but some of which are just really ordinary. Mm-hmm. Like she, she tells um, her friend Sanjeet later in the book that she used to play school in her head. She used to try and imagine what school was like because mm-hmm. she'd heard of it, yeah. but she'd yeah. never, you know. <laughs> Well, there's um, even like a part like where she's hiding from like her tutors, and it's just like as simple as like a game of hide and seek because she just like wants to like imagine yeah. that that's a thing that, that she can do. Right. Yeah. And you know they they scare her with her with their intensity. Mm-hmm. It's this. I think one of the interesting things about Tari Sai is that she gets this intense. She's a, actually very privileged as a young child. She lives mm-hmm. in this manor. She has like fancy clothes and fancy tutors, but nobody tells her anything. She's being mm-hmm. prepared for something and nobody will give her any information. Nobody will touch her because she has powers to take people's memories when mm-hmm. she touches them. She doesn't have to, but they just don't trust her. Yeah. So it's just this, it's this intense privilege and intense attention mixed with like being starved for love, like mm-hmm. very, very deeply. Um, so yeah it's just so, an interesting juxtaposition yeah so okay so so you have your characters and like there's other parts of the characters we haven't gotten to yet. They, they have these things called uh harrows or harrows hollows hollows yes. yeah hollows. Yeah, yeah i like we'll get to those in a second too but like, yeah there's you you quite literally built an entire world like there's these like 12 regions and like was there i'm just imagining like you have a room with like red yarn going all over the place <laughs> and like and okay. this, you know, it's, I'm like trying, how do you, a lot of books, I was joking around with, I joke around with a lot of authors about this, like, a lot of books, I can at least see the through line of like, here's where I started, and here's where I got to the end. There's a book um, by Aaron Morgenstern called The Starless Sea, which came out last Oh, year. I haven't read that one yet. Um, oh, it's so good. And like, I, when I interviewed her, I talked to her and I was like, I don't know how you did this. And like, that's how I feel with your book. Like, how do you go from, okay, I have these amazing characters and these interpersonal relationships and these feelings of like isolation and being this close bond but then you have this world where like every region is unique and there's an underworld like how do you get to there sorry I'm I'm gushing because of how much no. I 
Oh no, it's it's fine. It's funny you mentioned the red string because I'm not sure if you were referring to the always sunny in Philadelphia meme. A little he's bit. Like, Can yeah. I talk about Pepe Sylvia? I gotta talk to you about Pepe Sylvia. That that was like my most used meme while I was writing this book oh, because you feel like a conspiracy theorist when you're just trying to talk to like even describing things to my husband mm -hmm. when I was like working through a plot thing because yeah. he'd come home from work and I'd be like you know hunched feverishly over the couch and he'd be like. <laughs> Hey, babe, how are you doing? And I'd be like, you know, I figured it out. I figured it all out. And I just like, <laughs> I'd ramble about whatever I'd written for the day. It was funny. But um, yeah, I'm sorry. I completely lost track. That's okay. Of so, I know, so, just how did, how did I keep track of? I guess, yeah, like where did the, the world come from? Like, how did you decide that there was going to be? Because like you said, there's not only is there like this, council of ruler of you know everyone supporting like the emperor and like they're the only ones who can rule him but then there is this whole other plot where like there's an underworld and there was a battle between those it's almost like it's like you built out not only just a world but like a whole history of it so where like what part of the world itself did you start with and then like how did mm -hmm. you blossom out from there i know that's like a really open -ended. um the funny thing is, the first version of this story, I actually started 200 years after Tari Sai's story. Basically, I was, um, the first title of Ray Bear was The Last Eleven, because for whatever reason, I was just really like I thought maybe this is the last council like after this like the whole empire falls uh -huh. and that's not really exactly how it plays out but um I liked the idea of Tarisai being this legendary historical figure mm -hmm. um and so I actually wrote about a character who grew up hearing about Tarisai as a historical figure and the old anointed ones and the old councils and I just got so caught up in the lore of, um, I don't even remember that main character's name. Yeah. I got so caught up in the history of her world that I realized that was the story I actually wanted to write. I wanted to write about Tarisai, not yeah. like Tarisai, the ancestor, when there's like statues <laughs> of her everywhere, you know? <laughs> um, so it's interesting how much mythologies attract me. Um, I love fairy tales, but that's a specific kind of fantasy genre that I just love. I love creation stories, origin stories. I love hearing the stories about um, from every different culture about how they thought the world was formed, how different mm -hmm. things in the world came to be. Yeah. Um, I just love that stuff. And so it makes sense that I approached this story at first from you know, afterwards when people see Tari Sai and her council siblings kind of as minor deities, yeah. you know, um, and so to get to tell her very human story was really cool. Yeah, it's almost like when people look at like Greek mythology, like you said, we're like a lot of times, you know, there's really interesting books about the actual gods and goddesses, but then there are so many stories in like Greek mythology where like the main focus is on the like human characters and then they do they speak of the gods and demigods as like off into the distance whereas like like you said it's almost like you have the other way around with your characters where that you're seeing it from their perspective but these people in you know routinely come up and like basically refer to them as like infallible and like you can mm -hmm. stop these things and they're all like we're a teen we're teenagers yeah. right now <laughs> yo like i don't know what I'm, I'm learning this too just like you guys are <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, it's funny because I just turned in the final draft of Ray Bear book two, mm-hmm. like oh, two weeks ago, like really yeah. recently. And that particular theme sort of intensifies. In Ray Bear, these teens are thrust prematurely into this situation where, you know, everyone is, everyone's already looking at them as Mm -hmm. the gods of history, even though they're still alive. Yeah. You know, and um, they've been raised to expect that, but Mm -hmm. nothing really prepares them for it. Like there's the scene where Tari Sai is in a temple, you know, she's just greeting people who have come to congratulate her for Mm -hmm. being part of the council. And this little boy just like kind of like shakily like approaches her dais and like offers her this doll and she takes it and it's her like this boy made this tiny doll of her he's never met her before she's like how did you even know what I looked like and you made like a doll of me and he's just like oh I saw your picture like we hang it everywhere and we leave offerings but like beneath it and it's just this really touching but massively creepy moment Mm -hmm. of like her realizing how many people adore her and worship her and expect her to provide good lives for them. And this is like millions and millions of people. You know, they just think if they leave like an offering beneath her picture, they'll have a good harvest that year. Like it's that much pressure for a 16 year old girl. (laughs) So no one can see the Zoom that you and I are on right now. Like every single part of the book that you've been talking about specifically, I'm like, I'm getting so excited. Like I'm like, my jaw's opening. I'm like, I also want to talk about that. But I'm like, yeah, (laughs) tell the story of her actual book. I'm going to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor. Support for professional book nerds comes from Lord Jones, makers of the world's finest CBD products. CBD is all the rage these days, but pioneering brand Lord Jones is considered the gold standard. For years, they've been changing people's lives with their premium CBD products. From world-class skincare to tinctures and gel capsules to decadent gumdrop confections, if you're curious about what CBD can do for you, trust me, you want to start with the best. Lord Jones is crafted with the highest quality ingredients and premium hemp-derived CBD that lab, that's lab-tested for purity, strength, and consistency. In fact, Lord Jones has been featured in the New York Times, People, Vogue, Vanity Fair, and more, and now they're inviting you to experience the finest CBD products available. Go to lordjones.com pbn to get 25% off your first order. Go to lordjones.com dot com slash pbn for 25% off your first order. That's lordjones.com slash pbn. Yeah, I also love, you know, speaking of when they meet these various people that come into their world, they, I like what you did with sort of, you aren't too like holier than thou with time. Like you skip ahead and you, it, mm. I think it really gives you the ability as an author and us as a reader to feel the like the breadth of this because it is it's very much like when people say that they have like a sweeping saga of a book where it's like five generations of a of a family i feel like this provides the same way like but in the in the sense where it's like you have this sweeping world this huge world that you want to explore and by moving forward in time so quickly I, i think it enables you to show more of the world and more of the the possibilities like was that something that was always in there as well like those time jumps to get as much as possible that was the hardest part of the book to 
edit because, and it's, it's one of the reasons I kept writing it again and again, even as a young adult, is just trying to figure out essentially where to put that main time jump. There's pretty much one big time jump yeah. from age 11 to age 16. Mm-hmm. Um, it does, I guess, technically the beginning of the story does start when she's seven. So there is, there is like some, some mini time jumps in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like I was, I had been told so many times, like, don't do big time jumps. That doesn't work. That's awkward. That's clunky. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll start. I'll start when she's 16, because that's the age she is for the majority of the book. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just like, look at all these things that happened to her in childhood and flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't work. It was clunky. It was awkward. And she had such a vivid internal thought life as a child mm-hmm. that I couldn't skip that. I couldn't. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I've, in hindsight, I realized I was heavily influenced by what was my favorite book throughout all of my adolescence, which was Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte Bronte, a lot of people don't know this, but she was the first person to write a novel written in first person from the perspective of a child who grows into an adult. Mm-hmm. She was the first person to do that ever. Yeah. Um, Charles Dickens heard that she did that. And then decided to copy that for David Copperfield. I always say that because I'm so like, I'm really salty about Charles Dickens because he was really sexist and stuff. Uh-huh. But anyway, he stole that. <laughs> and I stole it too. So <laughs> yeah, I was just, I, and what, one of the things I loved about Jane Eyre is that I first read it when I was 11. And it starts with her about that age mm-hmm. and ends with her around age 19. So this book, it's almost like I, it grew up with me. At some yeah. points, I, I related to her as more as a child. At other points, I related to her mm-hmm. more as a young adult. Um, and so that's very much what Ray Barra does in that she's still such an intricate person at age 11 mm-hmm. that I couldn't skip over that in flashbacks. And it, yeah, it yeah. so much forms who she becomes as a young adult. Well, and also, I think, you know, when people say that time jumps are clunky, like, sure, if they're lazily done, but that's the same thing as like saying if you do, you know, multiple perspectives or like, you know, multiple mm-hmm. narrators, like, it's the same thing. Like, if it's done well, it it feel it eventually becomes one cohesive story and if it's not done well then it, that's going to feel clunky too you know i think it's like it's all about how you craft the story like you could have done this a weird awkward way but it fits yeah, as long, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just like i said i'm just more so praising you than anything else oh um, thank you <laughs> so as we kind of okay i want to get to so each character of the council kind of has like a special power type of a thing yes you want to talk um, about that a little bit it's they're amazing Yeah, so one interesting thing about the anointed council, you know, um, when the future emperor, the crown prince, is of a certain age, they start inviting hundreds and hundreds of children from all over the empire to the palace to be tested Mm -hmm. for his council. Um, And one way they narrow down how many children, because this is an empire of, you know, hundreds of millions of people, Mm -hmm. they narrow down how many children are eligible is by insisting that each child has to have a hollow which is basically a blood gift it's more than being really good at something it's like it's basically being so prodigious at a skill that you had to have been born with it Mm -hmm. um a lot of the time that looks like it it you know it it actually is something a bit mystical um tari size hollow is the ability, as I said, to see people's memories. Um, She can only go far back at a certain point, but she can also see it in objects as well. You know, if she holds a cup, she can kind of feel the cup's memories of someone else holding it, you know, and it's it's a little more hazy because it's an inanimate object, but um, 
So that's her special hollow. And I decided to call them hollows because the way they're seen in the culture of this empire is that you've been touched by the gods, mm -hmm. you know, so you've been set apart, you're very sacred, you're hollowed, yeah. you know. Um, so it was fun coming up with the different gifts for each character and how it would have affected them growing up. Um, especially since the crown prince himself, as far as anyone knows, doesn't have a hollow. Mm -hmm. So um, one thing he struggles with, you know, as really kind and compassionate as he is, is just this idea of him being the right person to rule the empire mm -hmm. just because of what he was born with, the birthright he was born with, mm -hmm. as opposed to this council of prodigy children <laughs> who've been handpicked, you know, out of millions for their skill and intelligence mm -hmm. and brilliance. And he's just like... And all of you have to do what I say because I'm the crown prince. You right. know, his character is such that that actually bothers him. You mm -hmm. know, he just feels inadequate. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Like that's, that's the thing that we can all feel. I feel like at a certain point, yeah. like everyone always feels a little bit less than but like, I have to imagine it was pretty fun coming up with those because like, they're not, so they're not something where you would think of like, um, like a, generic like oh this person can make ice with their hands it's not like, like a stereotypical yeah. <laughs> like mortal combat -y type of a thing it's like oh this person can look at you and know that like you have a tendon in your back that's super weak <laughs> so like they should attack you over there like I have to imagine those were like a blast trying to come up with the, the different ones of those they were um yeah you're describing Sanjeet's hollow which is yeah. to see physical weakness mm -hmm. it's interesting because his brother who we only get to see briefly in the second book I believe even though his brother is a big formative part of his upbringing mm -hmm. um his hollow is the same thing but it's like character weaknesses yeah. so he can look at you and know exactly what your insecurities are mm -hmm. so he knows what to say to just kind of bring you to <laughs> rubble like just yeah which is almost a scarier hollow than mm -hmm. the physical one um <laughs> yeah I, I, I really enjoy them. Um, there's one, there's, uh, I think Tari Sai's best friend. She, it's, it's hard to say best friend because they're all so intimate. They're right. like mentally bonded. Mm -hmm. But a character named Kira, whose hollow is that she's a song healer. She can't mm -hmm. heal herself, but she can um, kind of remind people's bodies of what they're supposed to do. So, you know, if, if something's ailing you, she can sing. And if she sings like a basket, basket weaving song, mm -hmm. um, a wound will knit back together and things like that. Yeah. Um, so she's really cool. Yeah. So I, I saw, um, I think your publisher was doing this. There's like a quiz where people can find out what theirs Yeah, the be. UK publisher did a, so, like, what's your hollow quiz? <laughs> so extremely important question. What would yours be? Oh, gosh. I don't know. The funny thing is, every time someone asks me what I would do in Tari Sai's world, <laughs> I keep feeling like I would just be like a lowly, like, scribe somewhere. <laughs> I don't identify with, like, Tari Sai is in the upper echelons of government. I wouldn't yeah. be allowed to get anywhere near Tari Sai. Oh, so I guess, I, I don't know. I, I think, um, so one character has a hollow you actually don't get to see in either book really unfortunately because mm -hmm. there are just so many characters but yeah. one of Tari Sai's council brothers his name is Theo um his hollow is the ability to make images with music mm -hmm. so he'll you know he'll play a certain 
song in a certain way and like he might make butterflies like appear in the room yeah. or he might be able to like when he gets really involved and he works with a griot who is a west african storyteller together they can make these images appear in the air as he's mm -hmm. telling a story um and i guess i think i would have a story related hollow maybe yeah. something like that maybe i, I can make that. people see what I'm thinking about when I tell a story or something yeah. like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can, I can definitely see that, especially like having built this world yourself. I get, you definitely belong. You're sort of like the storyteller, which is another character that's important <laughs> in the book, which I won't get into. Um, what did you feel? So we've talked a lot about what, um, where everything came from and like how much it, this story sort of grew with you. But like, what did you find the most challenging about building out this story in this world? Oh gosh, <laughs> all of it. All of it. Everything. <laughs> it was really hard. I think um, it was. It was obviously very fun and very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. um, I guess maybe the parts where I'm writing her trauma that I can relate to. Mm -hmm. um, there's a aspect of her growth in which she is trying to. Um, sorry, is that background noise? Um, no, you're good. Okay, yeah, you're it's fine. fine. <laughs> yeah. There's an aspect of the story in which she feels cursed. You know, she feels destined to kill the crown prince, who was mm -hmm. one of her best friends, um, because of what her mother told her to do. And mm -hmm. so she deals with this curse. You know, she's compelled to do it. She doesn't have control over it, even though she suppresses it. Mm -hmm. First, she tries to forget about it. She just like erases it from her memory, decides that, you know, it'll never affect her life. Mm -hmm. And when that denial doesn't work, she goes to the other extreme and says, I'm destined to do this. I'm a monster. I'm going to go far away from everyone who's ever cared about me or loved me because I'm only going to hurt them. Mm -hmm. And when that doesn't work, she finally has to come to some kind of equilibrium, which is, you know, I can't help the influences I was raised with, those are always going to be demons I have to reckon with, mm -hmm. but this doesn't have to be who I am. It's mm -hmm. this, it's holding it in the tension of realizing that um, you can't run away from your formative flaws, mm -hmm. but you also don't have to submit to them. They don't decide what your destiny is or tell your story, Yeah, you know? Um, and I think, I think a lot of people can relate to that in terms of trauma growing up you know, with difficult relationships um, with friends or with family that really scarred them in some way mm -hmm. and wondering how those will come out when you make relationships in the future. Mm -hmm. I know I really struggled with that, just thinking like, oh gosh, I was so emotionally hurt by, you know, this specific relationship when I was growing up as a kid. Mm -hmm. Is that going to come out when I have kids or is that going to come out when I get married or, yeah. you know, things like that? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I attempted to deal with it much the same way Taurus I did, just being like, no, I'll be nothing like that. I'll be absolutely <laughs> fine. I'll be completely different. Uh -huh. And then, you know, the other extreme of like just being paralyzed with fear that I'm destined to. I can't. It's in my DNA. It's yeah. in my blood. Um, and then, you know, getting a good therapist and I'm, I'm doing much better now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> so I am always curious. Um, earlier this year, I talked to Ryan LaSalle, who wrote this book called Reverie, which is another one. Oh, of he's fantasy. fabulous. He's fabulous. I I, just, I, his, his Twitter feed is better than TV. It's oh, just the most entertaining thing. <laughs> I have routinely said, and I told him, like, and this includes myself, he's the only good person on Twitter. Like he's, it's just Ryan yeah. and it's the rest of us. Um, yeah, he's the best. But um, he told me, so his first book was Reverie and then his second book, which is coming out in January is called Bedazzled. And 
Reverie is a YA fantasy and it's mm-hmm. like this open world and it's, you know, it's wild. And then there's Bedazzled, which he wrote, which is very much in the contemporary space. And he said like, he feels really restricted writing the second book because there were rules and he's like, I couldn't just yeah. make things up. But I'm curious if it's like the other way around. So like Raybearer, it being a book and a world that you built out so fully yourself, did it almost like, did you ever feel like you could have used some rules to frame yourself to like keep you within the margins a little bit? Well, I think there are lots of rules is the thing. To mm-hmm. me, the best fantasy are ones that have rigid rules. They're not this world's rules, yeah. but they are rules by which the setting runs and you have to stick to them and if you break those rules it has to be kind of a catastrophe yeah you know like if you're if you're ripping the fabric of what keeps the society together Mm -hmm. you know um and so that was a little difficult for me it was really fun getting to make up the rules in the first place you know saying like okay people who are on the council you know um they have to have this credential you know, if there's another character who doesn't have that, they just mm-hmm. can't be on the council. Like, that's that's just not how it works, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and just the, the way the different magic systems worked, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, there is so much lore that I don't actually get to um, unpack in Ray Bear. Uh-huh. Um, it's interesting because the concept of magic isn't... Like, like the concept of divine, in like endowed blessings in Raybear is mm-hmm. way more common than just the concept of a force of magic. Yeah, you know, um, people are born with these abilities and they're considered like blessings from the gods directly. Yeah. and anything yeah. close to magic is something called the pale arts, which is actually seemed very it's seen very negatively mm-hmm. because it's basically stealing power from the underworld to yeah. affect the lives of the living. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was, there were so many times where I just would have wanted to be like, oh, there's a potion that can do this. <laughs> and then it's fixed. But it just, it, it doesn't work. Like you yeah. have to, you know, it doesn't read, it, it reads too conveniently. Mm-hmm. There are a couple times I did that. Um, I, well, I didn't, where, where basically I didn't introduce an aspect of someone's power enough mm-hmm. earlier so that when it actually became relevant to the plot, it seemed really convenient. Yeah. You know? So I just had to like imbue the world with that, with those gifts a little more. So it seems more common, you yeah. know? Um, so I know you said you've just finished the, you know, the second book mm-hmm. that's attached to Ray Bear, but d- could you see yourself in the future? And I, I feel like the idea of probably like thinking of new stories, just having just turned into the second one is like a horror question. So I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> no, but it's fine. Could you see yourself doing like what Lee Bardugo did with her Grishaverse where she like, could you see yourself telling different stories? And you mentioned like, originally writing a, a story that was 200 years in the, in the away from the actual story in Ray Bear like could you see yourself pulling now that you've built this world and getting like mm-hmm. I feel like it'd be a crime to not let yourself play in the space even like a little bit more I think you've learned that right <laughs> I would love that I you know I think one thing I've told myself is that if I write another Ray Bear world book um it would be from the perspective of someone who's a nobody mm. in the world because Tarisai, you know, she's she's literally conceived for this grand sinister purpose <laughs> to infiltrate the upper echelons of government uh-huh. and, you know, change the nature of the empire itself. Yeah. I want to write a story about, like, a fruit seller <laughs> in <laughs> one of the markets. You know, it's just like, 
yes, their lives are heavily influenced by whatever the emperor and his sacred council decide. Yeah. But also those people are gods, you uh-huh. know, they don't have anything to do with this person. Yeah. Like they're just trying to get by, you know, maybe like catch a magic sprite to put in a jar so they have some uh-huh. light to read by in their small, you know, oh, hovel at night. <laughs> like oh. I just, I want to, I want to interact with that just kind of like ground level uh-huh um section of the world <laughs> there um there's a book that we've talked about a lot on the podcast called the rest of us just live here by patrick ness have you ever read that no it sounds hilarious even from the title <laughs> okay so it's li- it's quite literally there is a world where superhero like teenage superheroes exist and they are responsible for saving the world from like aliens and all this stuff but the book isn't about them it's about the rest of the people that like go to school with them they're just trying to survive graduation and like are yeah with, um, like <laughs> They're dealing with mental health issues and all these things. And then what he does is the chapter, the names of each chapter is basically like a three paragraph long description of what the superheroes are doing that has nothing to do with your story. And that's the name of the chapter. And then they just go on and actually tell the story. It's very, very funny. I need to read this book. It sounds hilarious. Yeah, the rest of us just live here. It's really, really good. But it's exactly that. It's like, here's a world where all this wild stuff is happening. That's not our story. Let's talk about these people. It's, yeah, I highly Yeah. I just, I mean, I think it would be really fun to write a story where all of these main consequential characters in Ray Bearer just make cameos in it. Yeah. Like for some, in some weird comedy of errors, yeah. this nobody gets wrapped up in this thing that thrusts them into the Imperial Hall, maybe just oh. for one scene where they're like quaking before these people that, you know, she's grown up thinking of as gods. And you just get to see these kids, you know, from the Ray Bear books really briefly, like maybe when they're a lot older and have been ruling for decades. You know? oh, I'm and so it's just, for this. I think that would be really fun. Oh, I'm um, so for it. Please do this. I'm yeah. so for this. Um, okay, so towards the end of our podcast episodes, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine, which is just nine lighthearted questions. Not that anything else I asked you today was like super grilling. But, um, the first one is What's the last book you finished reading? Oh, gosh. Okay, so it's complicated because I listen to loads of books and I listen to three books at a time. You, you oh, monster. How do you do I know. That? I know. Well, I just, I get overwhelmed. It's you guys' fault with the Libby app. <laughs> like, there are so many options and I, like, have 15 holds and all of them arrive in my, in my shelf at the same time. Okay, so, you know, did you know while you're thinking it, you can suspend holds? So like if you go in there and I do, I abuse that a lot. It doesn't (laughs) always work. I'll suspend all of the same holds for the same amount of time. So they all drop on my shelf at the same time. Yeah, it's really dumb. (laughs) Do you at least listen? I'm just giving you more time to look. Do you at least like, do you speed up the audiobooks? I do. I listen at 1.75 speed. Okay. So I'm going to, I'll let you know this because I have interviewed um, some amazing narrators, like really famous narrators who I asked them because I do the same thing. I like speed. I do all these interviews. I have to get through these books. And I jokingly asked the narrator, I was like, so what do you think about people like speeding up? And they were like, uh, no, that's horrible. That's, this is a piece of art. And I really don't like when people do that. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I don't do that. (laughs) The funny thing is I understand. I agree with them. I have a theater background too. I would be horrified if someone was listening to a version of my voice, but at the same time, I'm just like, I need to listen at the speed that I read. And if I don't, I'll just, I, my mind will wander. I have to, like, to keep my attention, I need the words to go a lot faster. Well, and there's just, like, yeah. there's some narrators who naturally, like, it, Neil Gaiman narrates all his own books, and he just oh, has, okay. like, a slow, 
beautiful voice, but it's very like draw, drawn out. Like, and um, there's this female who I love, Z Sands, X E Sands is her name. And, like, same thing. Her voice is beautiful, but like, it's so slow that I would mm-hmm. never get through the book. So I speed it up, and it's just anyway. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. That's us. <laughs> okay, so the last three books I finished them all within days of each other. Um, was one is a middle grade novel called A Ceiling Made of Eggshell, Eggshells by Gail Carson Levine. It is a historical novel, which is interesting because she writes, she usually writes almost exclusively middle grade fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote Ella Enchanted, Two Princesses of the Mar. Okay, yeah. Two of my favorite books in the world. They were very formative to me becoming a writer. But A Ceiling Made of Eggshells is about a little girl growing up during the Spanish Inquisition. She's a little Jewish girl in the oh God. century growing up during the Spanish Inquisition. Jeez. And so you'd expect this to be a very grim book. And it, in some ways it is, but because it's from the perspective of such like a bright, hopeful child, yeah. it's just this really beautiful, hope-filled book. Oh, and um, Gail Carson Levine has such an empathy for children. Mm-hmm. I think the only other writer I've read who has that same level of empathy is Beverly Cleary. Like yeah. she can just write from a seven-year-old's perspective uh-huh. and what's reasonable to a seven-year-old, it's just like, you, uh, you remember that. You remember that being like a perfectly logical way to think, yeah. you know? Um, so I really enjoyed that. I also finished Followers by Megan Angelou. Yeah. Have you heard of that one? I, I read it. It's so yeah. good. It is really good. It's just like, it's set both in 2015 and like 2059, just yeah. like a world ruled by social media, kind of. Um, it's like a Black yeah. Mirror episode, kind of. It's, it's a Black Mirror episode, but it's also very much about like female friendships and mother-daughter relationships. Yeah. That was really interesting. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one I finished is Tarnished Are the Stars by Rosie Thor, which is just it's a really sweet one-shot novel um, based on like another planet and a space station. Mm-hmm. Um, and the planet is an experiment because we basically ruined Earth with tech. So on this new planet, no tech is allowed. Oh, that um, nice. y- well, you'd think, except that all these people are dying from something that's mm. in the planet. And so they need organ replacements. And so they like, they have like this black market of like basically mechanized hearts and things mm-hmm. like that, but that's tech. So it's illegal that they use. Uh-huh. And honestly, what's really sweet about the book is just the main cast of characters. There are three mm-hmm. main characters. Um, there's, and when one of it's two girls and one guy and the guy is aromantic and asexual. And I really appreciated that aspect of the book just mm-hmm. because that's something I needed to do a lot of research for to write Raybearer because mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the supporting characters, major supporting characters, yeah. is asexual. Mm-hmm. Um, not aromantic, um, but asexual. And so I was trying to read, obviously I didn't read this book in time because I just read it, uh-huh. but I was trying to read a lot of those perspectives just to make sure I had an informed, um, mm-hmm. informed base to write yeah. that character from. And it was just really sweet seeing um, friendships be put on such an esteemed pedestal because mm-hmm. this is someone who doesn't want romantic relationships. So his friendships just mean everything to him. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't think friendships get enough of that praise, even if you're not asexual. It's just yeah. like most of our formative relationships are actually friendships. They're right. not our first love. It's like our first best friend, mm-hmm. you know? And so I really liked that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's such a good point. That's, that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? 
Oh gosh, anywhere. If I'm if I'm really loving a story, I will literally just like sink on the floor in the most mm-hmm. uncomfortable position just just because I need to sit down then and there and get through <laughs> this chapter because I have to know what happens. Oh, so I, I think that's probably the homeschooler in me is just like having kind of an unstructured day. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, I got all my schoolwork done by 1 p.m. So I guess I'm going to read these 15 library books yeah. around my house. Oh, that's um, I like, I'm, I will say audiobooks are my favorite way of reading. Mm-hmm. So I like going on walks with audiobooks, mm-hmm. doing like a really rote chore with audiobooks. I'm just like getting through stacks of laundry while I listen <laughs> to this book I've been waiting for weeks and weeks for. Like I just yeah. found that so soothing. Um, That's yeah. honestly one of the things that I miss about going to our office because it's not far away from my house, but like I knew I had a dedicated like 50 minutes to an hour every day between yeah. like going and coming where I had like a dedicated amount of time. I mean, I have very active dogs and I'm a distance runner so I do have lots of like audiobook places in my life but like it was nice to know every day I'm like okay 20 minutes both ways yeah I, yeah. I totally know what you mean um I, re- I don't miss the commute but that did yeah. used to be my audiobook time I used to work in academic publishing and had an hour commute each way Oof, okay that's a lot it was rough it, but that's just that's just LA that's that's par for the course and it's it's actually a good commute which should tell you how bad commutes get yeah but it was my reading time (laughs) Um, you kind of talked about this before but do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid oh gosh I've read for I don't remember not knowing how to read Mm -hmm. um my my family is kind of like a hyper academic family like we we knew how to read simple words by the time we were two like Mm -hmm. it's just it's par for the course for them yeah and so I don't remember the first book that I do remember the first book that made me want to be a writer Mm -hmm. and that was probably Two Princesses of Bamar by Gail Carson Levine Mm -hmm. um it's just a gorgeous gorgeous book yeah I I will it's funny I love YA but I think I'll be proudest of myself when I figure out how to write a really good middle grade novel. Yeah. Because it's like, it has to be just as intricate as YA, Mm -hmm. but it has to hold the attention span of a younger child. Yeah. You know, so it's just this breakneck pace with really deep relationships and gosh, middle grade is amazing. Well, and it's also like, and actually I interviewed Daniel Handler, who's like, he wrote the oh, Lonely yeah. Yeah, King books. of middle grade. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Like I remember when the publisher was like, do you want to interview Daniel Handler? And I, I, my jaw dropped and then I picked it back up and I was like, yes. But we talked about that a lot where, you know, people always say like the best books of all time are, um, you know, like you said, Charles Dickens or like it's, you know, William Faulkner or it's, mm-hmm. you know, all these <laughs> books that you're just like, you have to like struggle to get through. And but the books that we actually read the most are children's books and, and middle grade books. And they're the most formative for us. Like I read, I mean, I showed you one of my dogs, but my two dogs look a lot like the dogs on the cover of where the red fern grows. And it's because I read oh. that book like a hundred times and it just and cried every time, but like that and you know, the outsiders and like all these mm-hmm. books that I read when I was in like fifth and sixth grade and then reread them. Those are the, like you said, like those are the books that are really formative and, how you form relationships both you know friendships and how you interact with your family like I'm right exactly there I've always said that middle grade is what makes lifelong readers middle grade books mm-hmm. you know I feel like a lot of children have different kinds of books they like up through elementary school but yeah. middle school is what decides whether they'll be like they'll still be reading books when they're 30. <laughs> yeah I, no, <laughs> I, completely, I completely agree that's also the reason I all the R.L. Stein books the reason I still read horror now as an adult oh so. yeah <laughs> wait um, is R.L. Stein was that 
He um, did all the Goosebumps books. Goosebumps, Goosebumps and, yeah. Fear, and uh, Fear Street. All those. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah um, <laughs> I was so afraid of those books. I would literally like cover my eyes as I passed uh-huh. them in the children's <laughs> library. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, so and this is a weird question to ask, but it's part of our nine. Uh, when you can travel again, where is some place you'd like to go that you have not yet been to? Oh, oh, that I've not yet been to. Yeah. It's so funny you ask that because my adventuresome spirit has become so humble now. I'm mm-hmm. just like, ah, but to ride at the Starbucks at the end of my <laughs> block, <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, there are so, I mean, I'd really like to go to Abuja in Nigeria because mm-hmm. that's where I have a lot of family. Um, my family uh, grew up in more the Lagos and Port Harcourt areas, but Abuja is where a lot of them are now. So I'd like mm-hmm. to see that part of Nigeria. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be so long till I can go to because international travel is just so complicated with this, you know? Yeah, know. Wow. Um, yeah that's a whole nother conversation about yeah, how our absolutely. country has handled this. Um, yeah, okay. that would, I mean, that would be more just like connecting with family and with roots and doing lots of shopping because African fabric is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, to just go on like a vacation vacation. Um, let's see, there are lots of parts of East Asia I'd like to see. I got to spend some time in Korea mm-hmm. um, and that was cool. I'd also like to see maybe, I've, I've heard Vietnam is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um maybe see Japan. I know my husband really would like to go there. Yeah. So, yeah. Got some (laughs) options there. Um, Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? You know, (laughs) holidays are kind of fraught for me for childhood (laughs) reasons. Um, Let's see. I think one of my favorite holiday memories was actually as an adult when like here in my first like I actually lived with my parents before I got married so my mm-hmm. first like adult living space by myself aside from college yeah. was in this house with my husband mm-hmm. and I successfully threw a Christmas Eve dinner party and I was nice. so proud of myself and it was just so warm and comfy and there was a mm-hmm. roaring fire and it was great that's so, fabulous. that works for Christmas me. can be wonderful it Absolutely. can also be stressful <laughs> oh yeah that's true too yeah. um are you a coffee person or a tea person both whatever just i anything that is a source of liquid caffeine i have a favorite version of it i love cold brew coffee i love green tea i love really rich like black tea like to the Mm -hmm. point where it's just as bitter as coffee that's how much i need it steeped it's wonderful (laughs) um cats or dogs yeah um I don't know. I'm allergic. I'm I'm lightly allergic to both, and so was my mom. So I wasn't a- allowed to have either. Fair. But I I think it depends on my mood. Dogs are obviously wonderful. The unconditional love, and they're mm-hmm. so fluffy, and I pet them anyway, even though I might <laughs> have fives later. Um, well, that's more for cats. But anyway, mm-hmm. but we have so many stray cats around our property. And some of them are annoying, but there's one that's really dark with huge green eyes. Mm-hmm. And he just likes to hang out like near where I am. And I'm just like really attached to him. That's <laughs> and I kind of want him to be my cat. So yeah. <laughs> these days, maybe more of a cat person. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite food? Plantain, fried plantain. Mm-hmm. I could eat buckets of it. It's perfect <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> and then uh, last one, least, if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, 
not to get too serious, but this is such a complicated question as a Black person, because mm -hmm. some of my most formative writers, I'm just like, yeah, but you probably would have been racist. That's fair. No, that's <laughs> like, totally fair. I'm a huge Charlotte Bronte nerd. I love mm -hmm. that she was just, she was this, this fierce, lonely feminist before feminism was a thing, mm -hmm. intensely brilliant person. She was like tiny. She was maybe like five foot one. Her, all of her family died like one by one of tuberculosis. I yeah. went and visited her parson, like where she grew up in the, her tiny village in England. And I just, I relate to her so much. Mm -hmm. And so if there was a way I could magic wand away the racism part, yeah. I feel like she would be both an unpleasant and fascinating person to talk to. <laughs> she just has a lot of baggage. Yeah. And I, I get that. I just, I just wish that, um, I don't know. I, I just find her so fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay, last question for you, Jordan. What do you hope readers take away from reading Ray Bear? You know, I wrote this book for myself as a young teen. Um, who didn't get to, who loved fantasy, but um, knew that fantasy was a genre that didn't love me back mm -hmm. because it was very white, very Eurocentric. Um, I think I would hope different people take away different things. I hope all everyone feels represented in different ways. I know um, black girls who were like me will feel represented, but also people who have difficult relationships with their past. Mm -hmm. um, I hope they, f um, one thing I write when I sign books is own your story. Yeah. along with my signature, just because that's something Tarisai has to learn how to do, is to deal with, but also not be ashamed of her trauma and where she came from and her mistakes. Um, so I, I'd hope they feel empowered to do that in their own lives. I, that is absolutely perfect. This was so much fun and the book is incredible. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, this was really fun. It was really nice to meet you, Adam. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.